Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. Well, if you'd like to follow along as we go through a rather lengthy passage of Scripture, you can turn with me over to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Hallelujah. We're starting a new series tonight. Triumph of the underdog. How many of you have ever felt like you were up against impossible odds? How many of you have ever been up? You may not have thought that, but you just thought, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And this is the triumph of the underdog. We're going to be talking about Gideon for the next three or four weeks. And uh, this is a great passage of scripture. It's a great situation. While you're turning over there, Judges chapter 6. Last night we had our men's fellowship and it was a little thinly attended because several people had things that kept them out. And we refer to it as the men's meeting, M-E-A-T-I-N-G. And uh, I'm happy to say we did have vegetables. How many of you have ever seen those little rolls that they do with a big tortilla over at Costco where they roll up cheese and tomatoes and lettuce, you know, uh, and that it's very tasty. Well, those were our vegetables. <laughs> and, uh, but we did have fruit. We did have some fruit in the form of a key lime pie. So we had, the, we had a truly balanced diet last night. Uh, anybody on keto should have had no problem uh, between, well, no, that's not true. There was a pizza there. You'd have to kind of stay away from that. But the, you know, the sliced uh, uh, brisket and the bratwurst and the grilled chicken. Carl does a pretty mean grilled chicken. And it's bitten me twice. I mean, it's mean. But it was very, very good. Uh, it's always good. But last night, same how, you know, just... And when I said something to him about it, he told me the very simple way he did it. And it's like, I think I'm, gonna, I'm thinking about trying that. Anyway, Judges chapter 6. I'm going to read a rather lengthy passage of scripture. And we're going to make reference to several of the uh, verses uh, within this. The book of Judges is a very interesting book. How many of you know what I'm talking about there? And I mean, there's some strange stuff in there because there was great confusion in Israel during this period of time. They had no king, and uh, God had not, as of yet, raised up Samuel, the very first judge. And so there was, it, was, it was a dark period. And it says, Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh. And Yahweh gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. And that's a long time. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel because... Of Midian, the sons of Israel, made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown, speaking agriculturally here, sown their, their crops, that the Midianites would come up and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come in like locusts for number. 
Both they and their camels were innumerable and they would come into the land to devastate it. When it says they destroyed the crops, they didn't just destroy them. What they would do is they would harvest them for themselves and carry it off as their uh, booty, their, their treasure, and then destroy whatever was left to keep Israel subjugated. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the sons of Israel cried to Yahweh. How many of you know that's a good thing to do? Now it came about that when the sons of Israel cried to Yahweh on account of Midian, that Yahweh sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. And he said to them, thus says Yahweh, God of Israel, it was I who brought you up from the land of, or from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am Yahweh, your God. You shall not fear the gods, oh, that's small g, the gods of the Amorites. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites. Everybody say amen. And in whose land you live. But you haven't obeyed me. Then the angel of Yahweh came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Yoash, the Aviezrite, and his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Now, what's going on there? The wine press, of course, has sides on it, and so it would not be obvious to, plus it wasn't a threshing floor, it was a wine press. So they wouldn't immediately think of something, of an activity of that kind going on because he's beating out the wheat. He is preserving as much as he can. They're going to go hide it so that the Midianites can't come and steal it, all right, which they were doing. And the angel of Yahweh appeared to him and said to him, Yahweh is with you, O valiant warrior. This is a perfect example of him calling those things that be not as though they were. And Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if Yahweh is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about saying, Did not Yahweh bring us up from Egypt? But now Yahweh has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Everybody want to understand that everything he said there was wrong. Yahweh didn't abandon him, them. He, they abandoned him. He didn't give them to the hand of Midian. They delivered themselves there in a very real sense. All right. And where are his miracles and everything? Why isn't he doing this stuff? Well, there was a reason because remember the prophet says, you haven't obeyed me. But now Yahweh has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Yahweh looked. Now look at this. Yahweh looked at him. So this is no ordinary angel. This is the angel of the Lord. This is Yahweh number two, the second power of heaven. This is Yahweh manifesting. This is Yahweh the word we see in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was with the father. Both are Yahweh. One is in heaven. No man has ever seen the father at any time. But the, the, the word of God, the manifest word of Yahweh, Yahweh in at the word is standing there talking to Gideon. Just as Yahweh the word spoke 
to Moses from the bush, just as Yahweh the word talked face to face with Abraham. Yahweh looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, oh Lord, how? And I'm going to add the term on earth. <laughs> how on earth shall I deliver Israel? My, whole, my family is the least in Manasseh. And I am the youngest in my father's house. If you've ever felt like you were the runt of the litter... How many of you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you weren't the run physically, but you felt like, you know, you got into a fight. And you felt like you were David going against Goliath. You felt like you were the runt dealing with the big dog. Well, this story is for you. But Yahweh said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat, literally smite Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, uh, now Gideon you know, we've got to remember about Gideon. We're going to get into some things that Gideon, uh, we're going to get into some things that Gideon did that are not scriptural to do in the New Testament. We don't, I remember one time the Lord spoke something to me and I said, Lord, could you, I didn't want to, I didn't like what he said to me. I knew it was him, but I just, I said, Lord, could you just confirm that? And he spoke to me rather sharply and said, you don't need convert, uh, you know, confirmation. You just do what I told you. Yes, sir. And so Gideon needed help with his faith. Gideon was an Old Testament saint. He did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. All right. When we get to the fleece and all that kind of stuff, don't try the, Do not attempt that at home or anywhere else. All right. So Gideon said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Now, you know what that tells me? That tells me that it was the angel and he was in some, <coughs> excuse me, in some measure aware of that. But he wasn't standing there glowing and shining and everything. He looked marginally at least. <coughs> Pardon me. Like a man. And so he said, well, if it's really you, then uh, please show me a sign. Please, you know, uh, that and uh, and that it is you. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. Isn't it nice to know that God waits on us? I'm going to say that again because you missed a really good point to say, thank you, Jesus. Isn't it nice to know that God will wait on us? Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah flour. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. You know, that took probably more than 20 minutes. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on the rock and pour out the broth. Man, when we offer ourselves as a sacrifice, we do it on the rock. And he did so. Then the angel of Yahweh put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire sprung up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Praise God. I, that's what I, I desire. I desire for us to move into worship to the extent 
that the fire of God absolutely rises up and consumes the sacrifice. And it ascends before him. And look what happened next. And Yahweh, the, then the angel of Yahweh vanished from his sight. Then when Gideon saw that the angel of Yahweh, uh, that he was the angel of Yahweh, he said, Oh, alas, oh Lord Yahweh, for now I have seen the, uh, the, the angel of Yahweh face to face. And Yahweh said to him, Peace be to you. Shalom. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to Yahweh and named it Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. Or the Lord our peace. This day, to this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Aviezrites. Now on the same night, Yahweh said to him. Now see, once he's accepted it, once the Lord's proven him, now it's time to get busy. On the same night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, Baal, which belongs to your father, Oh my. And cut down the Asherah. That is the goddess we have been seeing in manifestation in so many places in our current culture. Cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to Yahweh your God on the top of this stronghold in an orderly manner. And take the second, a second bowl and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, which you shall cut down. Do you see that? That God is going to take the things that the devil meant for evil and use it for his greater glory. Only God can make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. And he can do it. All right. And the, let's see. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as Yahweh had spoken to him. And because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, he did it in the middle of the night. And the Lord had the blessing to the reading of his word. We could actually quit now and say we've already been admonished and encouraged. Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And in Aviazer, apparently on his father's property or prominent in the square, there stood Baal. Baal, the God of rain. The word Baal or Baal just means master. Baal was seen as the giver of life and drought and the giver of rain. And of course, drought means starvation. I mean, you ask some of the, the farmers out in western Kansas right now if drought isn't a serious situation. All right. He was, Baal was, the God of fertility the God of prosperity, the God of pleasure, and the God of fulfillment. He was a counterfeit God because we know that God provides all, that Yahweh himself provides all of those things for us. He provides fertility so that everything to which we put our hand prospers. He provides us with that prosperity. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore, and we are fulfilled as we walk with him. Everybody say amen. Now, the Asherah was, of course, his 
female consort, the goddess of the earth and the mother of fertility. She was often seen as the consort of Baal. This is a derivative of the Ashtoreth, and which would be Ishtar, and then goes back to the Akkadian Inanna. And she is often referred to as the queen of heaven. You may have read through you know, uh, Ezekiel and talks about, and, uh, talks about the women of Jerusalem burning their incense on the roofs to the queen of heaven. The Asherah was, you know, Asherah, uh, her counterpart in uh, Roman culture would have been Venus in Greek culture, Aphrodite. She was a warrior. She was the patron uh, god of prostitutes. She was famous for turning men into women and women into men. Now, we haven't seen that much of that, have we? All right. And they had, Israel obviously had embraced the gods of the Amorites. This isn't to say that they reputed Yahweh, because often their altars were side by side. But God says, you'll have no other. Yahweh said, you'll have no God before me or beside me nor after me. And Israel had embraced the world around it rather than rise above it. We see that in the North American and Western church today that so many, you know, um, the, the, you know, my daughter was just telling me about somebody she knew that is going to a youth group where they have, you know, LGBTQ plus blah, 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 uh, people in the youth group. Now, if that's one thing to be ministering to them, but it's another thing to approve of their lifestyle. This is when you take a little bit of the Bible and a little bit of Yahweh and a little bit of Jesus, who is Yahweh in the flesh, and you mix him with other cultural gods or pagan gods or whatever, that's called syncretism. Syncretism. You know, um, it, it, you know your spirituality becomes cafeteria line. You know, you just kind of take what you want. And our father understands that and he does not approve of it. Amen. Why? Why does God not approve of it? Because he's jealous. That's true. But he's jealous for us. And he knows that if we do that or when we do that, we put ourselves at peril. We open ourselves up to the enemy. In Luke chapter, and, and, and I love, you know, when we talk about the parable of the unjust steward over in Luke 16, when Jesus talks about the way the master praised the unrighteous steward, you know, take your bill and write 50, you know, write 80 measures instead of 100 or whatever, you know, it says, and his master praised the unrighteous manager, steward, because he had acted shrewdly. Now, listen to this. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. You will never be fully accepted by the world. It doesn't matter how, try, how, how hard you try to get in their groove. They will know on a visceral level that somehow you are not part of the club. And they will never. And the love, what Jesus said, the world loves those who are its own. And I assure you, the world knows who it is who is not one of their own. Once you, now, what is the key? What is the, what's your point, Pastor? Once you come to Jesus, there is no successful 
retreat from Jesus back into the world. Cannot be done. All right. Now, we come back here to Judges chapter 6. We'll pick it up with verse 3. For it was when Israel had sown, the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So this devil had allies. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock, their tents, and they would come like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable and they could come into the land to devastate it. What was going on here? You know, the very world... That the Israelites were seeking to emulate. The nations they imitated rose up and stole from them, oppressed them, exploited them, and demoralized them. Roaming in the land were gangs. That's what we would say today. They would say marauding bands. They were gangs. Seizing what they wanted. Is anybody getting a clue here? Do we see that in the United States of America in certain deep left cities where organized gangs enter into uh, a, a department store or something like that? And they, uh, you know, I got news for you. Believe it or not, California is on the verge of passing a law that prohibits employees from confronting shoplifters. Oh, yeah. Just when you thought it couldn't get any more stupid. Harvest time would come and they would begin to, you know, try to, they would hurry up and try to, you know, bring it in as fast as they could and hide it from these criminal bands that would roam, these gangs that would, 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 uh, would, would roam. And they, what they forgot when they started worshiping the gods of the Amorites, the Baals and the Ashers and Chemosh and Moloch and all that, that is that, you know, the world... The world knew you don't belong to us. Why? Because those people actually served those gods and those gods hated Israel because those are Yahweh's people. The minute, the nanosecond, you got born again, boing, this big old target appears on your back and front. Amen. Just get ready for it. Why? Because there is an enemy. I know that some people say, oh, Lucifer, you know, Satan, the devil, he's, he's just a metaphor. He doesn't really exist. Oh, he's got you fooled if you're saying that. Because Jesus, I assure you, Jesus knew he exists and said so. Paul said he exists. Peter said he exists. John says he exists. James says he exists. Jude says he exists. Luke says he exists. Have I missed any other authors from the New Testament? Because they all agree. The Old Testament is even, while he is minimized to a certain extent, he is there even in the Old Testament. And the, the people, according to verse 6, have been brought very low. Every small village became a stronghold, meaning that they had to have people awake all night long to stay, keep watch and to blow the trumpet if Amalekites and Midianites and the sons of the east, that would include the uh, Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites would come with them. The termites too, okay? All right. 
They were, they were not in control of their lives. The enemy was. Or their enemies were. They were defeated. They were cowering. They were trembling. They were hiding. They saw their enemies as huge. They saw themselves as runts. Completely impotent. And it wasn't God that did that to them. They did it to themselves. And they cry out to God. Verse 8. And he heard. First thing he did was send up a preacher. Amen. Everybody say preachers or gifts. Yeah, I just want you to say that and make myself, you know. Anyway. Verse 8. That Yahweh, you know, actually verse 7. Now it came about the sons of Israel cried to Yahweh on account of Midian. That Yahweh sent a prophet from the sons of Israel. And he said to them, thus says Yahweh, God of Israel. It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from their hand. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's saying, I am your dad. I am the husband. I am the one. I am the, when you read through the Old Testament, you constantly see he spreads out the heavens. He rules over the deeps. Each and every time you see that, it is the author of scripture poking Baal in the eye. Saying, you didn't create, you know, okay, everybody understand that this is not correct English. You didn't make nothing. It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians. Do you get the hint here? Yeah, I can deliver you. I've done it before. What I did before was a whole lot more than what I need to do now. All right. And so, and all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. In other words, these same jerkowitzes that are attacking you are the ones I've already defeated. You let them back in. So they lived in caves and defensible positions. And God heard. And so he says, I've heard you. And so they're standing there waiting for the sound of tanks and helicopters. And... But as usual, God chose one individual. Do you, understand, do you see that the reason the enemy has come after you with such ferocity is because you are God's answer to some people's dilemmas. God is going to use you. There are people to whom you may be the only one they will listen. To whom they would listen. And so that's why the enemies come after you. Is because you have potential to trash his work. Now, I want you to look at this here. Uh, again, verse 10. We'll go to verse 10 there. and They'll put it up for you. Um, it says, uh, And I said to you, I am Yahweh, your God. You shall not fear. Everybody say fear. fear. The gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you haven't obeyed me. What does he mean? You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites. He meant you shall not serve. You shall not worship. You shall not, you know, you shall not fear. If you, you know, this fear is that, you know, if you're really afraid of something, you're going to, you're exercising great faith in whatever it is you're, you're afraid of. 
Um, Jason told a story that I had not made, been previously made privy to on Sunday night about how, how many of you remember, was it two weeks ago tonight we had that storm before church where the wind, the rain, I mean, you, you couldn't, it was raining so hard. You look out those windows and you see those trees out there. What are those? Maybe 120, 130 yards from, from, from the building. You could not see those trees because of the, the rain was so intense. I think we got like an inch or an inch and a quarter in a period of about 10 or 12 minutes. And it was all moving sideways. Wind was howling and I guess a couple of the younger girls were standing back there going, is it, is it, and thundering and everything, is it going to be okay? Is it going to be okay? And they were trying to reassure each other, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, until Liam comes flying onto the scene, spinning around with his arms like this, going, tornado, tornado! Every party loves a pooper. That's why we invited you, party pooper. <laughs> when, you, when you truly fear a God, you'll do whatever it takes to stay on its good side. Amen? Let me, let me, let me give you illustrations of effective, you can call it deep respect or you can call it fear. If you're driving down the highway, even if you're in a big hurry, if you honestly think the highway patrol is up there in front of you, you will obey. I don't know how many people drive this speed limit because they honestly think it's righteous. In some cases, I'm sure of that. But I am just as certain that the fear of enforcement is the primary motivator for people keeping it within, you know, staying within, you know, the, the speed limit. Bikers. Yeah. How many of you know people will signal each other with their headlights? Bikers do this. You know, if you're riding a motorcycle the other direction and the biker coming the other way taps on the top of his head or his helmet, that means speed trap up ahead. You know, cops up ahead. I'm not training you how to do this. I'm just saying, you know, you know. But it, well, just think about it. Let's think about it. You know, if you're, if, how many of you remember the days of C.W. McCall? There is, we got a great big convoy. And we, everybody bought a CB radio because the government had so brazenly lowered the speed limit to 55. And I mean, there were even songs. I can't drive 55. And... Uh, and so we, 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 we got to work, you know, break one nine for a smoky check, you know, break one nine, break the smoky report, smoky report. How many of you remember those days? You know, my uh, handle during that period of time, you know, handle your, your, your uh, code name was Meadow Muffin. <laughs> I was, you got the one Texas Meadow Muffin kicker back. How many of you know, no, does anybody here not know what a meadow muffin is? It is a cow pie. <laughs> meadow muffin. All right. I got a lot of comments about that too. Did you say meadow muffin? Uh, that's a big 10 four. How about you, meadow muffin? You, you buy? Oh, those were days. Well, when, 
you know, I remember one time I had a guy, I was going north on 75, coming out of Dallas, and we were on our way to Tulsa to visit my parents, and we were probably, we were somewhere between uh, Okmulgee and Tulsa on US 75, and I had a guy that, you know, I picked up, you know, my, uh, my back door, and he was telling me, you know, he was communicating with me. He said, are you running front? I said, sure. You know, like, and I remember at one point he even said, Madam Muffin, if, you know, you need to let me know if you see anything, because if you don't, I'm going to jail. Those were his exact words. And I thought, and you know, I had noticed that his signal was getting stronger pretty quickly. And he did overtake me in a few miles, and then he started running the front door. I didn't really speed up that much, but it, you know. And so what if, you know, he's driving along and he's doing 85, this is 55 miles an hour. And he's, let's say he's doing 75, 85 miles an hour. And I don't know, I don't remember what his handle was, but if, you know, if I called him back there and said, you know, hi and mighty, hi and mighty, this is Metal Muffin. You got to, you know, breaker, breaker, got a picture taker, you know. You know, and, you know, I'm telling you, you don't want to tangle with the Oklahoma Highway Patrol. They have a reputation and it is justly deserved. OK, they're good troopers. They really are. But they have no sense of humor. None. And and so if I'd have called him and said, you know, we got one up here southbound headed right for you, you know, and they have moving radar. So he, you know, I guarantee you. He didn't slow down. He wouldn't slow down just because it's the right thing to do. It's that fear of enforcement. Let me give you three little letters that strike fear into the heart of most Americans. I-R-S. There, you know, you're looking at your, I've even talked to my accountant about it. I said, should I, this deduction seems a little bit you know, crazy to me. And she said, nope, you're okay on this. And I said, well, I don't want to claim something that would get me flagged. In other words, I'm ready to give up a legitimate deduction just so I don't have to talk to the IRS. Feels like I'm paying protection money or something. You know, I'm not comparing the government to organized crime. <laughs> The government will tell you to take all the deductions that you are due. But, all right. And so he's saying, what, of what are you afraid? Baal and Asherah are perfect examples of what gets us in trouble. They believed, because they were taught this by the nations that surrounded them, that if they pleased Baal, he would smile on them. And that smile would bring Rain, it would bring harvest, it would bring crops, it would bring healthy children, the ones you didn't sacrifice to him, etc. And like all man-made gods, which these are, the ways to please that God were filthy, immoral, unethical. He, Baal and the Asherah, just like today, worshipped by sex, largely by sexual acts, and the more pornographic, the better. To excite Baal with sexuality was to bring rain. You know, you hear people say, I have no use for organized religion. Well, this is the kind of organized religion they like. That was a good place for you to say amen. But anyway, pleasure, 
self-centeredness, self-motivation. Those things are very harsh and driving taskmasters. You will never satisfy them. Ultimately, that behavior is self-destructive, as Israel discovered. What promised freedom was actually bondage. What was called liberty produced slavery. What does the first thing God said for Gideon to do? You go pull down those idols. Put away your right. I remember, I was it Mel Terry was telling the story about um, they were in Indonesia and they're going around preaching the gospel and they started preaching the gospel to this village and the people started saying, we, we know this God. We know this God. This isn't new to us. We know this God. And so they started to inquire how they knew. And it was because one day their shaman, their witch doctor, was sacrificing a sow to their idol and Jesus appeared to him. Now that tells me somebody's praying for those folks. And he said, I'm the God you seek, and that is not the way to worship me. And so he goes, uh, okay, what do I do? And he said, first, get all of these idols out of this village, and then I'll tell you the next step. How many of you understand? A lot of people want to know, well, what are you going to do? What do I like this? And God says, I want you to get this stuff out of your life. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be perfect, but we have to commit ourselves to him and move away from that commitment to whatever sin, whatever pagan God or whatever it is like that. And so he did. He cleaned the village out of all of that stuff, told everybody, Let's, we need to get rid of these. And then Jesus appeared to him and said, go into the village and get enough writing stuff. I'm going to, get, I'm going to get you, give you some stuff to write down. And when they got there, when the, the, mission, the Christian missionaries got there, they had the gospel of John. Now that's what I call pretty cool. That kind of, same kind of thing is happening in Muslim countries right now where it's so deep that, you know, and they're so, they're so hard, hard hearted that Christian missionaries can't get to him. And so Jesus is saying, I'll bypass you. And, you know, thank God that, that he is. They, you know, whole villages are coming into the kingdom. All right. Gideon grew up in an environment like this. Small in his own eyes. The least of the families. And I'm the youngest. And wondering why God had left them in this mess. Why? Because they weren't even listening to the, they didn't have the roaming Levite, I guess, anymore. They did, you know, and the, 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 the tabernacle was probably at Bethel, which was a complete abomination. And so he, you know, he, Gideon just had, had doubts that God could do anything. Are we there? Where we believe that our past is in control and that there's nothing God can really do about that. Or we're fearful of the world and what people will think. We don't want to get canceled. We're fearful of lack. We're fearful of defeat. We're fearful of subjugation. We're fearful of failure. And in verse 25, God says, you pulled down that altar. Yahweh says, I and I alone am God. I am the God who sends the rain. And by the way, Gideon, I plan on being your full-time God. I don't want anything beside my altar. I don't want anything behind my altar. And you take their Asherah, you take that 
filthy woman, that queen of heaven, they're worshiping that transforms men into women and men and men, uh, women into men and rejoices over temple prostitution and, and adultery and things of that nature. You chop her up and you put her on that altar, set it on fire and use that to sacrifice that bull to me. That's the only thing she's good for. Amen. Don't fear anything. Don't fear anyone but me. I am your redeemer. I am your strength. I am your help. Okay, okay, okay. You have messed up. But today, I'm calling you back to me. I think the reason he chose Gideon was Gideon just, he was the youngest and of the least family. And so he wasn't connected to the political apparatus. And he was young enough that he hadn't been so polluted by everything. He says, I'll set you free. Get up there to the square and cut that down. Run straight at the devil. Now, I know he tiptoed around and did it in the middle of the night. But, you know, we, we shouldn't try to flank the devil. We need to run straight at him. Those of us who are in the military were trained, particularly when I was in, you know, when I went in, I did not have to go to Vietnam uh, because they were, we, were, we were drawn down when I, when I enlisted. But we were still doing training many of the tactics that would be used in jungle warfare. And one of the things we would train for is a near ambush. Remember those? The near ambush. In other words, the enemy opens up and it's an ambush. Well, what do you do? You put your weapon on automatic. You point it at the, you know, the, the, the attacker and you pull the trigger, and believe me, I'm an M16, that's what we used at the time, we didn't have the M4s or anything like that. The M16 has an extremely high rate of fire. And you get three or four guys running right at somebody on full auto, you are throwing up a wall of lead. And you run straight at it. They would tell you, the quickest way to die is try to hide. Because they've already got you, they've already got you, you know, zeroed. Go straight at them. Of course, if it's an L shape, you've got a situation in your hand. All right. That's what we do. We are to run straight at the enemy. We're not to fear him. Everybody say amen. amen. And if our musicians would come. Sixth, uh, sixth chapter again, verse 27. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as Yahweh had spoken to him. But he was too afraid to, of his father's household and the men to do it by city. He did it by night. What did he do? He, he did something. He did tiptoe around, I understand. But, and he went in the middle of the night to avoid confrontation and opposition. But God will take obedience even if it isn't. Even if it's halting, I guess would be the way to say that. He used the stones of Baal and the wood of the Asherah. He properly consult, uh, constructed the altar and used the wood of the Asherah, as I just got through saying. He took what the devil himself had been using for an extended period of time, claimed it for Yahweh, and offered it to Yahweh. And God took, Romans 8 and 28, what the enemy meant for evil and turned it for good. 
And the first thing that has to fall is fear. Now Gideon had a ways to go in that. But he's just a lad from the smallest family of the, sm of the smallest tribe. And he called him during dark days of despair and weakness. And in that mess, he said, look at verse 12 again. I love it. They'll put that up, Susan. The angel of Yahweh appeared to him and said to him, Yahweh is with you, O valiant warrior. <laughs> I can almost see him going, you talking to me? Well, you're the only one here. True, but I mean, you know what I'm saying. If you know, somebody one time said, if the vision that God has given you doesn't scare you half to death, your vision is too small. There is some truth to that. He, there is a valiant warrior in each of us. We are each potentially that valiant warrior. And God sees us walking in that. Where every time we walk in the door, the enemy goes, oh no. Are you with me? What was I heard of? Famous evangelist who kind of fell out of grace, or fell from grace, and not, in the, not in, the, in the theological sense, but the sociological sense, who said, you know, he got to the place in his life that every time he'd wake up in the morning, the demons would scream, no, no, he's up again. Make it so of us, Lord. Make it so of us. Because if we'll trust him, he will finish that transformation. And we will. And the underdogs will rise and triumph. Let's all stand. Those of you watching by web, we appreciate you joining us today, tonight, this afternoon, this morning, whatever it is, wherever you are. It's evening here. I assure you, that God has a destiny for you that is far better and far beyond what you could design for yourself. I mean, I, you know, you can think big, you can dream big dreams and think big thoughts and all of that. But in the final analysis, it's only the things as we walk with God that will satisfy and last. And if you're not a Christian, you need to become one today. You need to come to the cross. You need to come to Jesus. You need to let, you need to tear down those idols. And the way you do that, you don't have to name all this stuff off. What you do is you come to the Father and you say, Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. And this is something you are speaking to him frankly and from your heart. It's not a recitation. It's not a formula. And you say, I believe that Jesus of Nazareth is your son. I believe Jesus Christ is your son and you have raised him from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I forsake all this other stuff in my life and I pledge my total allegiance and fealty to you, faithfulness, to you and you alone. And the scripture says you will be born again. And that it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done and how horrid your past may be, that all who come to him, and that includes you, he will in no wise cast out. And you will be born again to a living hope. And you will be transferred out from under the boot and the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. Christian, are you living below your privileges?
Are you afraid because of all the things that are happening in the world around us today? It's going to get worse. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to be truthful. And you need to hang on to God like you never have before. You need to get all the way in. You need to be in church. You need to be laboring for the kingdom. You need to be doing the things that you know in your heart of hearts you need to be doing. You need to be giving. You need to be praying. It's time to develop some spiritual discipline. You know, if you know you're going to have to run a race, it's like when I was in graduate school, once a semester, we had to run three miles for time. If you know they're going to have to do that, you don't wait until two days before to try to get out and quote unquote get in shape. You're going to be throwing up and falling beside the, beside the, the track. No, we're running now. We are letting God prepare us for the things that are ahead because the Lord has warned us as a congregation. Those who stick with him are going to see great and awesome things, but those who, who are not prepared will be left behind. Doesn't mean they're not going to go to heaven, but it means it isn't going to be a fun ride. It will be tears. Get in. Don't wait. Press in. In prayer. In scripture. In church. Amen and amen. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center or at our website, iccfamily.org, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.